The title of the message this morning is A Beautiful Thing for Jesus. We're going to read Matthew 26, verses 1 through 13. So please read along in your Bibles, on your phones, as we read God's holy word together. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days, the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, And she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we pray this morning that as we see you, our eyes would be open to the truth that you are the true Passover lamb and you were crucified for the sins of your people. And thank you so much for being a lamb led to the slaughter and as a lamb... You were slain. And as a lamb before its shearers was silenced, so you did not open your mouth. You are the great lion of Judah. And you're also the lamb that was slain. You are worthy of the most extravagant worship. And we pray this morning... Holy Spirit, that you would fill us to overflowing and that we would render unto you, Jesus, the worship that you are worthy of. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the previous section in Matthew chapter 25 that we looked at last week in the passage, 
and the title of the sermon was The Final Judgment, you'll note that the sheep on the final day of judgment, they call King Jesus by the name of Lord. What's amazing is the goats who also are separated to the left, who are unbelievers and who will be damned on the final day of judgment for the rejection of Jesus Christ, it's amazing to me, but they also call him Lord. It's a reminder to us, brothers and sisters, as Philippians chapter 2 talks about, that every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee is going to bow on the final day. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's against this backdrop of this King of Kings and Lord of Lords, this great judge of all the nations, talking about Him coming back in great glory and in great victory, bringing judgment to the nations on the final day. The, the transition happens here from the Olivet Discourse where Jesus is portraying these beautiful, epic truths of his glorious return and the final judgment and, and everything made new and everything made right to this transition here from them being in the Mount of Olives overlooking the Temple Mount and the teaching to Matthew chapter 26, 1 through 13, where it seems that Jesus and his disciples took a short walk to the town of Bethany which isn't far from the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, to dine with Simon the leper. They do this just two days before Jesus is crucified on the cross. And you just see Jesus moving from teaching about the fact that He is a glorious King to transitioning And saying to his disciples in the home, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming. And the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. This great king is going to suffer himself. The humiliation of the cross in order to die on the cross for our sins, brothers and sisters. He's going to be crucified as the Passover lamb. The first point in the message this morning is Christ, the true Passover lamb. We see this here when he describes that the Passover is coming. You've got to understand in this moment here, two days prior to Jesus' crucifixion, it is Passover week. Josephus records that it's in the neighborhood of 256,500 lambs approximately slaughtered this week by the people of Israel as as Jews from all around the world converge into the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. This happened once a year. And as they're celebrating in groups no smaller than 10 You see that the population is swelling up to about two and a half million to three million people perhaps during this time and it is, it is, it is packed and, and, and it is just full 
of anticipation as the people are coming to prepare their hearts to remember the Lord's Passover and celebrate the Lord's Passover. And it's in this context that Jesus says, after two days, the Passover is coming. And there's this direct connection to the Passover feast with the very next phrase there in verse 2. And the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Jesus prophesies here, brothers and sisters, the exact day of his death. The two days more emphasizes that God is sovereign over the slaughter of this Passover lamb, his son. And it also indicates that Jesus is a willing and voluntary sacrifice. I was reflecting on this in relation to John chapter 10, where Jesus says, No one takes it from me, my life, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So here in Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus is saying in two days, it's meant to give us a, a reminder that God is sovereign over the slaughter of Christ here at this Passover celebration where all of the Passover lambs throughout all of the history of Israel, and including these 256,500 approximate Passover lambs, they are all pointing to the one true Passover lamb who was in their midst and who they're rejecting and will not believe in. And God is sovereign over this. Jesus specifying that in two days, I'm going to be delivered up to be crucified. You need to remember that just the week prior, Jesus came in and They were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, because the Jewish people were anticipating that the Messiah was going to come and deliver them from Roman oppression. They were expecting the conquering king to come in now. And he did come to conquer, but he conquers through his death. He conquers through his crucifixion on the cross and not through military might and strength. The two days signifies the sovereignty of God over the crucifixion of His Son. You see this where Jesus is talking to Pilate in John chapter 19. When Jesus says to Pilate, Pilate, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given from above. It's a reminder to us that Jesus laid his life down. He chose to do it out of great love for you, brothers and sisters, you, his people who have fled to Jesus for refuge, you who have fled in repentance and faith to Christ for forgiveness of your sins and deliverance from the wrath of God, your Passover lamb. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I just love this verse. I was couldn't help but smile as I was reflecting on it again and again this week. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7 says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, Paul says, has been sacrificed. 
Christ, our Passover lamb. He is our Passover lamb. He willingly laid his life down. Nobody took it from him. It's interesting here that in verses 3 through 5, he talks about the plotting and the scheming of the chiefs and the elders wickedly plotting to arrest and kill Jesus by stealth. And earlier on in Jesus' ministry, they wanted to grab hold of him and just throw him over a cliff, and they were prevented. But now God sovereignly has appointed the, the hour for His Son's suffering on His people's behalf as the Passover Lamb, who, as His blood is slain, God will, as Exodus 12 verse 13 says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now, the chiefs are saying, this isn't the right time. Uh, Not during the feast, they say. They actually say, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And so, with all their plotting and all their scheming and all their backdoor plotting and their wickedness, They're sensing that if they do this, the crowds could riot because of the popularity of Jesus. And so their their will here is that not during the feast, and yet they cannot stop God's sovereign plan coming about. When they want to do it, God prevented them. It's the perfect moment. It's the perfect time during this Passover feast. This is God's appointed hour. And with their striving and scheming, saying no, not, not during the feast. It doesn't matter that they say not during the feast. God says it's going to be the feast. And my son is going to suffer in the place of my people. And it doesn't matter how much you rage. I'm going to have my son offer up his life as a Passover lamb, and he indeed is the true Passover lamb, to which all other Passover lambs merely pointed. Here he is, Jesus, the Son of God, crucified for our sins. He's saying in two days, it's going to happen. Oh, brothers and sisters, couldn't help but remember God delivering and redeeming the nation of Israel, out from Egyptian bondage and slavery through the Passover. You may remember that God called the people of Israel. I'd encourage you to read Exodus 12 this week and see the connection between Jesus and the Passover lamb that was slain and they were to paint the blood of the lamb over their doorposts and they were spared their firstborn being killed by the avenging angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord who brought death and wrath upon the Egyptian people and all who didn't have the blood over the door. Here we see that this means was the means by which God redeemed His people out from Egyptian bondage. It was the last and greatest sign that broke the back of Egyptian power and caused Pharaoh to say, enough, go forth and worship the great I am in the wilderness. And so they did. 
and they came out of Egyptian slavery. They were redeemed and brought out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And here God is going to once again redeem his people with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And that's why it's called, he is called, Jesus is, the arm of the Lord. The might of God coming to save his people from their sins through becoming a lamb. The Passover lamb, our Passover lamb, as 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, so that God repeats what he said to the nation of Israel, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Friend, I can't help but just ask, do you have the blood of Christ covering over all of your sins through repentance and faith? I want to ask you that. Have you personally trusted in Christ's blood? He is the only way that you can be saved from the angel of death. He is the only way that you can be saved, as Tom reminded us in worship this morning, from the wrath of God that stands against you and I in our sinfulness. God is mighty to save, and He is willing to save. This very act of sending His Son in great love, and Jesus here two days before He's dying, saying to His disciples that in two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified, shows and proves the great love of God for His people. He is the King of Kings who every tongue will confess as Lord on the final day of judgment, laying Himself down to death as a lamb. He is the judge of all the nations, who always judges justly, humbling Himself to be falsely judged and plotted against by the wicked scheming men in verses 3-5. through And also humbles himself and is obedient to death, submitting himself and enduring also the righteous judgment of God as Father as our sin-bearing, spotless Lamb. Have you believed in Him? Have you personally trusted in Him? Have you personally placed the blood over the doorpost of your heart. Because only when God sees the blood will He pass over you. And only when He sees the blood of Christ will He pass over me. Oh, brothers and sisters. I can't help but be reminded of C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia and the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And here we see the, the great lion, the great judge of the nations at the end of Matthew chapter 25 is about to be led like a lamb to the slaughter. So that when God sees His blood, He'll pass over us. Passed over for judgment we are. 
passed over for wrath, we are. But not him. He is going to hang on that cross in two days as our Passover lamb. And he's not going to get the benefits of the Passover. And he's the only one who was worthy to be passed over. He was the only innocent that had ever lived. He was the only righteous one. Spotless and pure and perfect. And yet he suffered himself. To endure the agony and the shame of the cross. And God. Amazingly. Visited his own son. Crushed his own son. In our place. Jesus endured the judgment that you deserve. Believer. Jesus endured the wrath that you deserve. Beloved. So that you might be here saved this morning. So that you might be here passed over. Always imagine what it would have been like to be sitting in one of those houses in ancient Israel when the angel of death is passing over and brothers and sisters to be passed over and know that wrath And justice are not coming into the house tonight all because a lamb needed to be slain. All of that pointed to this, this great moment where two days from now, and we're going to be looking at this in the coming weeks throughout the month of August and into September, and I just can't wait to do this, to look at the crucifixion of our Passover lamb and to remember his wounds by which we are healed. The leaders, they move with stealth, guile, sneakiness, slyness, and plotting. And yet, listen to this. What they plot in wickedness, God has planned in love from eternity past. And they cannot stop it. They cannot appoint the hour. God determines the hour. Jesus knows the hour. It says two days from now. I'm going to give up my life and no one can take it from me. Oh, brothers and sisters, let us marvel at Jesus' courage to know that in two days you're going to die. We tend to think about Jesus and think, oh yeah, he died on the cross for my sins as if somehow it wasn't hard for Jesus to die. It was so hard that tomorrow night in Gethsemane, he is going to be so strained and stressed That instead of sweat coming out of his head, it's going to be blood from the strain of the capillaries bursting under the stress. Because he knew that he was going to be my sin bearer and yours. Standing before the full might of the holiness of God and taking the justice and wrath that I deserved. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. And yet not my will, but yours be done. And by all means, it was possible for the Father to take the cup from the Son. But had He done that, beloved, there would have been no satisfaction for sins. There would have been no satisfaction of justice. There would have been no satisfaction for wrath. And you and I would have gone to the just, eternal condemnation that we deserve in hell. And so there was silence. 
And Jesus, with great courage, knowing it was coming in, said, not my will, but yours be done. And with great courage, collapsing underneath of the physical, physical exhaustion of carrying his cross, he took it all the way to Calvary to die for his people as our great Passover lamb. Oh, it's okay to be moved, brothers and sisters. It's okay to weep tears of joy. It's okay to worship with extravagant love and devotion this awesome Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is worthy. Amen. And that's where we turn our attention to point two. Christ worthy of beautiful worship. Christ worthy of beautiful worship. This begins in verse 6. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, <laughs> what you got to understand here is, he's called Simon the leper, but he's leper no more. Had they, he's still been a leper, they all would have been declared unclean. He's been healed. He's been healed by Jesus. So this man, miraculously healed by Jesus, is in the same house with Lazarus, who was raised from the dead by Jesus. I mean, you're talking about an extraordinary little party here. They're eating dinner. And brothers and sisters, when you're reading scripture, you want to use your imagination and just think about the moment. Think about him eating dinner at Simon the leper's house. You got from the other gospel accounts, Martha is serving the dinner and Martha and Mary are there. And Jesus is telling them in two days he's going to die for their sins. I mean, he's sitting there and what do you do? What do you do? Well, We know from the Gospel of John's account of this, that this woman was Mary. And Mary, this woman in verse 7, came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. This ointment, most likely nard, a very precious ointment and spice from northern India, traveled over a great distance. And most likely her and her family had this for some time. This very expensive ointment the scriptures talk about was estimated at 300 denarii or the equivalent in our minds of a year's wages. Very expensive. If you had this in your house right now, it would be the most expensive thing in your house. It would be treasured. It would be in your safe if you have a safe. That expensive. That valuable. And Mary, it says, in 7b, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. <laughs> and when the disciples saw it, you almost think it would say, Mary, well done. Yes, yes. They were indignant, saying, Oh, the pain of these words, brothers and sisters. He just told them he's going to die 
be crucified for their sins. Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. Here, this statement is attributed to the disciples collectively. In John, we learn that Judas was perhaps the ringleader, kind of galvanizing these disciples to say this. He was really concerned about where the money was going, having been the treasurer and having helped himself to the treasury, stealing money from the money that was collected for the disciples and for Jesus all along the way. He's indignant, and so are the other disciples. This word indignant here, it it talks about how they were incensed. This word in the original, it talks about to be angry. They were angered. They grieved much. It's the literal meaning of this word. They grieved much. Why this waste? This could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? Why do you trouble her? Why do you bother her, another translation says. Again, that word's also a strong one. It means, why do you weary her? Why do you fatigue her with your words? This bothering, it means... It means to to strike a blow that weakens. To strike a blow that debilitates. We want to say something to you right now, Mary, so that you'll never do something like this again, because this is over the top. Calm down. You want to do good? Do good in a different direction. You could have done this with it. You could have done that. And they, they, they bring shame upon her, and Jesus doesn't stand for it. He defends her. And he says, she has done a beautiful thing to me. What you are calling a waste, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. Mary never forgot all the sins Jesus forgave her of. Mary never forgot all that Jesus had done for her, Mary would be there sitting on the floor listening to Jesus intently with his teaching. And she obviously was sitting hearing Jesus say that the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. And this went right through the disciples' heads again, went right over their heads. They they still, to this moment, kept refusing to believe that Jesus was somehow going to die, even though he said two days from now I'm going to die. They were still holding on to their hope that he was going to conquer over Rome and that they were going to be sort of his big dogs, his sort of generals by his side as he does it. They're going to get a lot of glory from this. You're not going to die. And she says, get behind me, Satan. But not Mary. She listens and she has insights into he's going to die. She listens and she senses that her redemption It's going to come through her suffering Savior's death, this Passover lamb and his death. And she's so moved by Jesus dying 
and being buried that she goes and gets the alabaster flask. And she breaks it. Alabaster was a very expensive stone. It was actually a stone used to adorn Solomon's temple. And they also used these stone flasks to contain and keep pure these beautiful ointments for a long time. But once they were broken, once the head was broken, you couldn't get it back. It was not like how we contain perfume these days where it's contained and kept pure and sealed. The seal was the alabaster Flask, but when you broke that flask, it was stone. You couldn't undo that. This is, it's, you got one shot here, if you will. Where do you want to break it? And how do you want to break it? And who do you want to break it for? It would be the equivalent of opening up a $50,000 bottle of wine for the occasion. I mean, you don't do that except for the moment. And she rightly discerns that this is the moment because in two days he's going to die a criminal's death and everyone else was afforded ointment and anointing for their burials but criminals when they died no no ointment for them and jesus knowing her heart he says to them you will always have the poor with you you will not always have me And in pouring the ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Guys, remember, I'm gonna, I'm gonna die. I'm sitting here with you right now, but in two days, I'm gonna die. I'm here in your presence right now. And that is of such great worth, more inestimable worth than you can even imagine. I'll soon be taken away from you, but soon I'm gonna die. And she's doing a beautiful thing to me. The King of kings and Lord of lords is about to lay his life down as your Passover lamb. All my people have rejected me. I came to my own and my own didn't receive me. I'm a king of kings and yet I'm going to die a criminal's death. And I'm not even going to be afforded the common ointment. But not for Mary. Mary is doing a beautiful thing for me. And what she has done will be remembered. And this is recorded. This incident here is recorded in Mark. And also in John. As well as this account in Matthew. There's another anointing in the Gospel of Luke earlier. About a year and a half before this. But this moment here is recorded in three Gospels. Because what Jesus says sticks. This is going to be done as a living memorial and a testament to her worship of me. And her extravagant devotion and adoration of me. Because I'm going to die and I'm going to be buried. This word beautiful. Kalos in the Greek. What it means. This is very important. Get, Get this word beautiful, brothers and sisters. A beautiful thing to me, Jesus says. It means a good thing. A worthy thing. A noble thing. An honorable thing. Here, listen to this. this. This was powerful. Beautiful. A beautiful thing means good that inspire, inspires others to embrace what is lovely. Good that inspires others to embrace what is lovely. Or to embrace what is most desirable. It's sort of well done so as to be winsome. 
appealing. Hey, follow my example. When Jesus says beautiful, he's saying what she's doing, every one of you in this room should likewise be doing. She's doing a beautiful thing to me. It's, it's a, she's doing a good to me that ought to be inspiring you to embrace what she is doing. Because she is saying that I'm lovely. She is saying that I am beautiful or the sum of all that's desirable. She is saying, Christ our Passover lamb is worthy of the most expensive, extravagant adoration and worship without price, without cost, whatever we can do. One Christian said, controlled by adoration for her Lord. She lost all sense of restraint and economy. She lost all sense of restraint and economy. One Christian writes, her extravagance sprang from love. From love. She was in effect, brothers and sisters, embalming Jesus with ointment before he even died. She was anointing the King of Kings with precious ointment. This is the heart of worship, brothers and sisters. It's so consumed with Jesus, the person of Jesus, the presence of Jesus. You're so enamored. You're so in awe. You're so amazed. You are so aware that you have been forgiven of so much that you love much and you don't care who's in the room. You're breaking in. You're getting down on your knees and you're going to weep on those feet and you're going to dry those feet with your hair. You're going to do whatever you need to do because you are aware that this one before you is worthy of the most extravagant worship and devotion. One Christian said that the love she had for her Savior was without price. I love that. She's an example to all of us, Mary is. And may we be following Christ Community Church in her example. May it be said of us in this church that we are extravagant in our worship and in our devotion to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, our Passover Lamb. There is nothing that would be too excessive. Nothing that would go too far to do as an act of worship to Him. And I think the main point I just want us to take home is Christ community, let us worship the true Passover lamb, Jesus. With all that you are. And with all that you have. Bring your last widow's might before him and it will not be a waste. Bring your millions before him and lay it down at his feet. 
and it wouldn't be too extravagant. This is about money. I mean, let's, let's, let's cut to the quick here. This has value. This is immediately the disciples see this could have done a lot for ministry. Listen, there are times for ministry. Jesus explains that there's times for ministry and it will be judged on the final day in relation to ministry unto the least of these. He cares about the poor. But when you have Jesus in your presence, and this is the heart of it all, we need to be more concerned with glorifying and pleasing and doing all we do unto the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and more concerned about the person of Christ and the presence of Christ than we are about Ministry. And what we would do for him. I love this quote by John MacArthur. Listen to this. Genuine worship is the supreme service a Christian can offer to Christ. There is a time for ministering to the poor, the sick, the naked, and the imprisoned. There is a time for witnessing to the lost and seeking to lead them to the Savior. There is a time for discipling new believers and helping them grow in the faith. There is a time for careful study and teaching of God's Word. But above all else that the Lord requires of His people is their true worship. Without which, everything else they may do in His name is empty and powerless. The worshiper emulated by Mary, listen to this, the worshiper emulated by Mary, who follows her example, does not ask, how much is it going to cost? Or, do I have the time? Like her, the true worshiper gives Jesus whatever he or she has. Knowing it is trifling, trifling compared to what has been received from him. Charles Spurgeon said, if I had a hundred lives, I'd live them all for Christ. And even then it would seem too little of a return. For his great love for me. Oh, Christ community. Let us embody that spirit. Our first phrase in our church motto is exalting Jesus Christ. I remember our first sermon when we planted the church from Psalm 103 was entitled, The Priority of Praise, given right in front of Tom and Joe England's hot tub in their house. He wants our hearts. He wants all of who we are. He's, he deserves it. He, it's not just that he wants it. He deserves it. He's worthy of it. Anybody who comes to you and says, hey, listen, you know what? You need to tone it down a little bit. Family members and friends are going to come and they're going to criticize you for this and for your devotion for Christ. Listen, let them say it all they want. Let the chief priests and everybody do their plotting and let people come and let even other Believers come and tell you that what you're doing is too much and you're going too far. Listen, don't you believe it for one moment. There is nothing you could do that would be too far or over the top in your devotion and in your passion and in your sacrifice for Jesus. On the day we enter into heaven, we are going to be like, oh, Lord. Why did I hold back so much? 
And we've been given an opportunity here, church, to see what life is really all about. This woman, Mary, she turned what probably would have just been another ordinary dinner into extravagant worship. And you don't need to be at church or in fellowship group to offer up this kind of worship and devotion from your heart to your Savior. This is meant to be our lives. One gospel account says that the aroma filled the entire house. Christ's community May each and every one of our lives be like the alabaster box and the ointment broken over Jesus so that the effect of our individual lives and the effect of our church collectively might be a beautiful and pleasing aroma all over Berks County, in our houses and outside our houses, into our neighborhood and all into the city and all to the nations. And that what we do is a sweet aroma of worship unto our true Passover lamb. For he indeed is worthy of it. He's worth it, isn't He? So let us not ask what's the cost. Let's not ask do I have enough time? Let's not live our lives going half-hearted for Christ. Saying things like, oh yeah, I've got Jesus and I've got my life. And Jesus fits in a nice little compartment in my life. When they see you, may they see like Mary. A man, a woman, a young man, a young woman. Who is so consumed with Christ. She breaks the most expensive thing she's got. Anoints him with oil kisses goodbye, a year's wages like that, and says, he's worthy. May that be the type of worship that characterizes us. Christ community, may we worship the true Passover Lamb Jesus with all that we are and all that we have, for he is worthy. The worship band can return. Let's pray. Lord, we want to offer up our life. We want our lives, Lord, to be the alabaster, flask, and ointment. It's what we've got. Help us to do what we can. And do everything we can. To be a sweet aroma to you, Jesus. May our lives be offered up in spirit and in truth. May we this morning surrender our lives 
may we see what's most valuable. May we give all of our heart over to you in devotion and in worship and the exaltation of you, our dear Passover lamb, who was crucified and slain for our sins, that we might be saved from the wrath of God. Thank you so much, Father, that when you saw your son's blood, you passed over us. Lord, we've got a lot to worship you for. And I pray that even as we sing in just a moment, that our singing would be different. Our singing would be more fervent, and our singing wouldn't be confined to just here at church on Sunday. But Lord, may it be that we can't stop singing. We can't stop singing your praise. We want to have our whole lives be an offering, an aroma unto your worthy name. In Jesus' name, amen.